haven't met, my name is Ellen Schaub and I have the awesome privilege of being the kids pastor here at our church. I have the best job in the world. I can't wait until all of this is over and we can come back together. I can't wait to hear your quarantine stories and see your faces in real life. But until that day comes, I am thankful that the spirit of God that unites us and that makes us a family is present in your living rooms, wherever you are watching this as we lift up the Lord together at home. Now this quarantine season has definitely had its ups and downs, but I just wanna share with you a couple of the ups this season has held for my husband Nathan and I, um, and that is the abundance of amazing memes all over the internet responding to coronavirus. We have been laughing a lot in our house, and since shared laughter builds relational connection, I just wanted to share with you a couple of our favorite quarantine memes, if you will. Here's a good one. Family devastated when pet chews up life savings. <laughs> Who knew toilet paper would become such a valuable commodity? Can everyone mute is the new per my last email. <laughs> Business jargon has changed a lot in the past couple weeks. Here's my personal favorite. Me, this show is boring. Boss, again, this is a Zoom conference. <laughs> Spending so much time looking at a screen, I forgot what I'm seeing anymore, huh? Oh, man. It's a good thank you, Internet, for providing us something to laugh at, even in these crazy times. But today we are rounding out our study of Philippians with the final chapter. So if y'all will pull out your Bibles, turn to Philippians 4. We're going to be reading verses 4 through 9 today. And we are going to be camped out there this whole time. So feel free to just leave your Bible open and stay with us there. So we'll start off. I'm going to read this passage up on the screen for us. I'm reading out of the NLT. Philippians 4, 4 through 9. Always be full of the joy of the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. Let everyone see that you are considerate in all you do. Remember, the Lord is coming soon. Don't worry about anything, but instead pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting into practice all that you learned and received from me, everything you heard from me and saw me doing. Then the God of peace will be with you. Wow, this is a really encouraging section, isn't it? I think a lot of us are probably pretty familiar with some of the verses here. You may have even seen them on an embroidered pillow or an inspirational dish towel or something you could get at Mardell's, right? With so many familiar verses, it's amazing that they're all right here in a row in the same chapter. This is a powerful chapter for our faith. But when you read it though, do you get just a little twinge of guilt? <laughs> I'll admit that when I first read this chapter, it hit me a little bit like, whoa, all this stuff sounds great, but I am totally not living up to all of these things, especially since it's written in absolutes. Always be full of joy. Don't worry about anything. Pray about everything. If you're like me, you might get this and read this and think, man, this sounds awesome, but how would I ever actually live this way? <laughs> Does it have that effect on you a bit? 
That's what was going on in me when I first read this chapter. And I just want to share with you a bit of the revelation God has given to me about um, what this chapter can mean for our lives. What if this passage isn't a list of rules of high expectations of how Christians need to live that we're all falling short of? But what if it's an invitation into the good life? We can all agree that this is the way we'd like to live, right? We'd love to be full of joy, full of peace, our minds full of things that are great. We just don't feel like we can get there, right? But what Paul is saying is that this kind of life actually is possible. And he's laying it out for us, not in a way of saying, live up to this, do better, but he's saying in a miraculous way, we can experience this kind of life. Because Jesus died to make us righteous before God. He uh, is loving us unconditionally, and the very spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is alive inside of us, empowering us to be more like him, transforming our sinful hearts, and making us into his holy people. This is an unbelievable freedom reality that Paul is saying, this is the good life. And it is possible for our lives to be characterized by this incredible joy, this incredible peace, and this incredible purity that we're talking about here. What if this passage is not a condemnation, but instead an invitation into the kind of life God has for us? Back when we worked at summer camp, every week the counselors had like a specific assignment for them. So say on Monday I'm supposed to lifeguard and then on Tuesday I have a shift at the ropes course. We would refer to those assignments at camp as get-tos. It was a reminder of what we were really doing here. Uh, it was a, a reminder to our attitudes that it's not that, oh, I have to lifeguard this afternoon. No, it's I get to serve God, I get to love on campers. I get to create an environment where people feel safe and loved and encounter Jesus. And the way I'm gonna do all that today is through getting to lifeguard this afternoon, right? It's a perspective shift that reminds us of what we're really doing. You can try this at home uh, and rename your chore chart into your get to list. <laughs> I have the privilege of living in this house, and so I get to serve my family by taking out the trash, right? And this from Philippians, isn't this the best get to list that you can imagine? This is not a beat down of what Christians are supposed to be. Don't read this with a, okay, in order to be a good Christian, I have to rejoice more, be more cheerful, pray more, stop worrying. No, because of Jesus and through the Holy Spirit, I get to have a reason to always rejoice. I get to experience the peace God has for me. And I get to fill my mind with the beautiful things that represent the holiness of God. Thank you, Jesus, for inviting us into this good life and for giving us the power to actually live it out. So as I've been reflecting on this amazing truth this week, shifting my perspective on this passage from a list of impossible tasks to an invitation into the good life, God's been speaking to me that right now in our COVID situation that we're in is the perfect time to practice living out this freedom and enjoying this good life. And in this passage, Paul, I think, highlights three gifts of the good life. 
joy, peace, and purity. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to look in a little more depth at each of these gifts of the good life. We're going to look at joy and peace and purity, and then we're going to end with a practical action step that Paul gives us in order to live it out. So we're starting off with the first gift of the good life, which is joy. And let's reread real quick what Paul has to say about joy. Verse four, always be full of the joy of the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. Paul ha uh, Philippians has been called the joy book because Paul talks about joy all throughout Philippians and he wrote the book from prison. So when he commands the Philippians, encourages the Philippians consistently to be joyful, it can really land home because if he is in prison saying it's possible to always rejoice, it must be possible for us too, right? I love this quote from Christian Eberhardt. It says, real and lasting joy comes from the confidence that no matter what happens, we are inseparably connected to God and saved. It has to do with where the focus of one's life is, or to employ the famous phrase by Paul Tillich, with one's ultimate concern. The Apostle Paul could rejoice because he did not fear death. Wow, that's good. So if your ultimate concern in life is your own health and safety and comfort, your joy is going to be pretty circumstantial. But if your ultimate focus, your goal in life, what you're setting your eyes on is the glory of God and your eternity with him, your joy is unshakable no matter your circumstances. Uh, I helped at a kids camp once and we started every morning saying a declaration, uh, declaring truth over our day. And my favorite part of the declaration went like this. We would say, God is in a good mood. He loves me all the time. Nothing can separate me from his love. And you know, sometimes the best way to understand a truth about God is to explain it to a kid. So how can we experience joy always? Because God is happy. He's in a good mood. He is always pouring his incredible love onto us, and his love is all that we need to experience this never-ending joy. No matter what our circumstances, if it's prison or sickness or unemployment or persecution or a global pandemic, we can experience this peace, this peace, this love, this joy, because God's love will never leave us. Now, there are a lot of awful things going on in the world, and neither us nor God is turning a blind eye to suffering in the name of joy. Um, we weep with those who weep. We are heartbroken over injustice. Um, we mourn when we see evil in the world, and so does God. He hates sin and brokenness that have corrupted his world. So how can we say that he's in a good mood? I like to think of it this way. God is outside of time, so even though he's with us in our moments of suffering and our moments of pain, he's also existing in the eternal future reality, which is his, his reign um, and his glorious kingdom uh, come again. 
So even though he's with us every moment that we're suffering, Jesus mourns with us, he hates the suffering that we're in, he is still in a good mood, he still has unshakable joy because he can see our eternity with him. He's already enjoying it. And so we get to tap into that joy as well. This is what Paul is saying. Even though he's in prison, he's rejoicing because of his future secure with Jesus. He's like enjoying it already. I love how in the next sentence here, Paul ties consideration of others with joy. Verse 5 says, let everyone see that you are considerate in all that you do. Have you ever noticed how differently you treat people when your attitude is joy versus when your attitude is like frustration or complaint? For me, I'll be honest with you guys, it's the grocery store. Waiting in line to check out in the grocery store is like my kryptonite. <laughs> it's the ultimate test of whether I'm existing in joy or whether I'm uh, falling prey to impatience. <laughs> if there's a long line ahead of me, if the checker is slow, if the person ahead of me has a million items in their cart, if I have not been under the waterfall of the love of God and rejoicing in my eternity with him that day, I am so quick to get impatient and frustrated and I am not considerate of the people around me. But if I walk into that grocery store secure in my joy of the Lord, that his love is with me, I can rejoice always, my future with him is secure, <laughs> I can be in a long line and actually look at it as, a, as an opportunity to love other people. Uh, a long line in the grocery store has actually been some of my best evangelistic moments. Getting to meet people, share, you know, hear their stories, ask if I can pray for them, invite them to church. But I can only do that. I can only look outside of my own potential frustration and be considerate of others when my attitude is joy. And then finally to wrap up this little section, Paul rounds out the section with an awesome perspective shifter for when you're struggling with joy. He says, remember, the Lord is coming soon. Now, the early church really believed that Jesus was going to come back in their lifetimes. Uh, they talk about that all through the New Testament, and you can see they derive a lot of comfort and a lot of motivation from this hope, the Lord is coming back soon. So what would it look like for us if we really lived like Jesus was about to come back, like in our lifetime or maybe even in the next year or two? Wouldn't our frustrations and our troubles look a little different in that perspective? Paul is giving us like a litmus test for your frustrations. Now, if Jesus were about to come back, would this be making me quite so angry? <laughs> probably not, right? If Jesus were about to come back, I'd probably be rejoicing that there's a long line in the grocery store and I'd be sharing his name with everyone. It really puts my problems into perspective. A commentary I read says it really well this way. We know that Jesus will settle every wrong at his return, and we can trust him to make things right in our falling apart world. Isn't this the message that our world needs to hear? What a time in history for God's people to be sure of our eternity with him and to be unshakable pillars of joy. 
Doesn't your neighborhood, your family, your Facebook timeline, your community, don't they need to hear um, that joy is possible? And all of us have suffered some sort of loss or some sort of heartbreak because of the coronavirus, big or small. And in light of all that, if we are still able to have an unshakable joy because of our future with Jesus, the world will see in our lives, see in our joy that the way of Jesus is the good life. That brings us really well to our next gift of the good life, which is peace. Let's reread here what Paul has to say about peace. He says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Wow, if there was ever a time when the world needs the peace of God, right now is it. Feelings of anxiety, fear of the future, and worry are high around the world. Here's something interesting about feelings of fear. Feelings are actually directed by your thoughts. So uh, if you're feeling a feeling of fear or lack of peace or something, it's actually because it started in your thoughts. Your thoughts inform your feelings. And the cool thing is that God knows that that's how we operate. And he, right here in these verses, Paul is giving us a three-step pathway to peace that all has to do with your thoughts. Look at this. He says, if you're to fight fear, first, don't worry. Don't give in to that anxious thought. Then pray about it. And then turn to thanksgiving. And this whole pathway, all of these action steps are directing your thoughts towards peace so that then feelings of peace will follow. It's so cool, God made us, he knows how our souls operate, he knows what we're gonna struggle with, and he gives us a battle plan to fight it. So let's walk through real quick this pathway of peace. Where does it start? It starts with a worried thought whenever it comes in. Uh, my mom used to say, and maybe your mom used to say this too, you can't stop a bird from flying over your head, but you can stop it from building a nest in your hair. <laughs> so thoughts are going to be flying in your, around your head day by day, but when one comes in that's really nesting, a worried thought that's starting to try to build that nest, God says, rebuke it. Don't give into it. Don't indulge it because it's going to feed your feelings of fear. And God doesn't just say, hey, stop that. He gives you something to turn to. So he says, identify that worried thought, stop dwelling on it, and instead turn it into a prayer. Uh, this really helps me to do out loud. <laughs> so if Nathan and I are talking about finances or cars or plans for the future, and I'm, I'm feeling anxiety kind of starting to build, it helps us to just stop that conversation and call on the name of Jesus <laughs> and just say, Jesus, right now, we do not know what to do. We're feeling overwhelmed. Tell us what you think about this situation, Jesus. We're giving it to you right now. And then from prayer, then you turn to thanksgiving. I love this because it's like you're worried about something, you give it to the Lord, and then you fill your mind with reminding yourself who God is, what he's done for his people in the past, how he's taken care of you before, how he's been faithful to his promises. And if your thoughts are full of, wow, God is so good, he's so powerful, he's so loving, he's so faithful, what kind of feelings are going to follow those thoughts? But peace, right? 
And I just want to say we are all on a scale of what this looks like lived out in our lives. For some of us, this pathway to peace is pretty natural. It's easy for us. For some of it, us, it's a fight to rebuke worried thoughts and we might have to grab some accountability from Life Group to really help put this pathway into action. And for some of us, anxiety and fear is a way bigger deal, maybe even a medical thing. And a, a counselor can help walk you through these pathways and help minister freedom to you or even get you medication if that's something that you need. So we're all on a spectrum of how we're dealing with this and whatever our level of intervention is, the point is God is trying to say that peace is possible for you. You can experience the peace of God in this good life that we're living out. He promises here in, chapter, in verse seven that you will experience his peace. He will send it to you, his children. What is the peace of God? I love how Charles Spurgeon describes it. He says, what is God's peace? It's the unruffled serenity of the infinitely happy God, the eternal composure of the absolutely well-contented God. Wow, don't you love that? And don't you want that to be true of you? Our God is infinitely happy and well-contented. He is good and he knows what he's doing and we can trust him. If we are having our trust in the fact that God is all powerful and all good, we too can experience this unruffled serenity that our God is taking care of us and we really can have no fear. When I was a kid, if I was scared in my room at night, all that had to happen was if my dad just walked into the room, boom, my fears are gone. To my kid mind, <laughs> my dad is in control of any situation and he loves me completely, so what could I possibly fear when my dad is in the room? And our Heavenly Father is so loves us so much more and has so much more power over the world than my earthly dad, right? Within his presence, I really can be anxious for nothing. But it is hard to live that way because bad things still can and will happen to us, right? Like, even though God loves me so much and even though he has power over the whole world, that doesn't stop the fact that bad things could still happen to me. You know, I could lose my job, I could get the virus, I could have something bad happen. So are we taking too naive approach by saying this? Like, by saying, don't worry about anything, God's in control, are we just burying our heads in the sand and avoiding the reality of a bad thing maybe actually happening? Let's go back to that analogy of being a kid. If I'm a kid and something bad happens in my family, I can feel the effects of a tough situation. I can even feel worried about the future, but it's not my job to take care of my family. It's my parents' job to fix the situation, uh, to provide for us, and to look out for our future. That's, that's the parents' role, not the kids' role. Uh, say if I'm a kid and I'm sick, you know, I feel sick and I don't like that, but it's my parents who are the ones who are taking me to the doctor, picking up my medication, seeing what care and treatment I'm gonna need. They're the ones responsible to care for me and help me through my sickness. So it's the same way here with God as our Heavenly Father. He's called us his kids, 
And so he is taking responsibility for our care, like a father takes responsibility for the care of his kids. This is how I can live in perfect peace, even though hard things might still happen to me, because I'm in the care of a perfect dad. And he is always gonna take care of me, even if something bad happens to me, it's his responsibility to take care of me, to make sure I'm provided for, so I can live without fear of the future as a kid with this kind of dad. And you guys, the world is desperate for this good news. There are so many people out there right now in awful situations who need to know <laughs> that there is a dad who loves them and wants to take care of them, wants to take responsibility for providing for them. And how are these people gonna hear this good news except from us? If we as God's people can have his unruffled serenity <laughs> uh, because we are loved by an infinitely happy God, then we can give this gift away as a gift of the good life to people who desperately need to know this peace. All right, the last gift of the good life here is purity of mind. Let's reread what Paul has to say about purity. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Paul's final gift of the good life that he shares is a clarity of thought, a purity in your mind that comes from fixing your thoughts on good and righteous and uplifting things. Other translations translate fixing your thoughts as meditating, dwelling on, filling your mind with, or focusing your thoughts. All of these, the idea being to spend time letting excellent and true and pure and praiseworthy things soak into our minds. Now, what could be more excellent or praiseworthy or pure or true or right or good to meditate on than the Word of God? Amen. Meditation is the act of digesting the word of God for application and for life change. Nathan shared a cool word with me about this just the other day, uh, the image of skipping stones. So he said, when we skip stones, you know, they just kind of glide above the surface of the water and it's easy to treat the word of God and the presence of God that way, just kind of bouncing in and out, grabbing a good thing and then heading out the door something like that. But he said what we're really called to do is just be thrown into the lake and sink into the water and sit in the word of God and meditate on it. That is what is actually going to change our lives. I came across this tool the other day from the navigators that they call the word hand. <laughs> it's five ways to interact with the Bible. So you can hear, you can read the word, you can study the word, you can memorize the word, and you can meditate the, on the word. But look at the diagram with meditation as the thumb. What will happen to the Bible if you remove meditation? You drop it, right? <laughs> the navs are saying that the other, all the other ways to interact with the Word of God is kind of skipping along the surface. You're intaking, your input, information's coming in, but meditation is what will allow us to sink into the Word of God and actually let it change our hearts and change our minds and live it out. 
In the pace of a normal life, it is upsettingly easy to be a skipping stone with the word of God in the presence of God. Like, I'm running out the door, I'm gonna grab a few verses here and then head off onto my day. But now that we're in quarantine, I think there's a window of opportunity for us to practice as a church, meditating on the word of God, sitting in it, not being too quick to get up, but really letting his words fill our minds uh, and change our hearts and lives. In case this is brand new to you, I'm putting some questions up here to help you meditate for the purpose of obedience and life change. So as you're reading the word of God, here are just a few questions that you can ask yourself, think on later, ask Jesus to give you insight on as you're looking to obey. This comes from a book we were reading called Spiritual Multiplication in the Real World. So you can ask, how can I apply this truth? You can ask, why haven't I applied this better in the past? And if I were to apply it, what changes would it require in my attitude or my behavior? Uh, you can think of a time when Jesus has applied this truth, something from his life. You can visualize yourself living it out in different situations that may come up in your life. And what would happen if we all spent some of this extra time at home practicing really sitting in the word of God and asking how we can obey? According to verse nine, the God of peace would be with us. One commentator put it this way, just to bring it full circle, these thoughts that are true and admirable and right and pure and lovely, these thoughts, Paul would say, are the fruit and the food of the mind that is guarded by the peace of God. I'm gonna say that again, the fruit and the food. So the output and the input of the mind that is guarded by the peace of God. When we put good things into our mind, they stay in our mind and then come forth with, from us. It's a powerful full circle of the good and beautiful things of the kingdom of God. While it is so tempting in this season to park in front of the TV or maybe scroll a couple hours on Facebook, this could be a holy time if we let the excellence and truth of the word of God fill up our minds during our quarantine. If lingering with God and hearing his voice, this practice of meditation and stillness and silence, if that's hard for you, I am right there with you. I like to move fast, so it is hard for me to let myself sink into the river, sink into the water, and really soak in the word of God. But I wanted to put up on the screen here four books and resources that have been really impactful for Nathan and I as we've been growing in listening prayer and being still before the Lord. So we've got Soul Keeping by John Ortberg and Hearing God by Dallas Willard. Both these guys are theologians and uh, both these books are really great, full of their great ideas and kind of philosophy of these things. Uh, the Way of the Heart by Henry Nouwen is a short little read and it's about stillness, silence, and solitude. And it will inspire you and give you practical ways to live out um, that sort of lifestyle. And then Questions for Jesus by Tony Soltzfus is more of a devotional book. It's got a lot of questions to help you grow in listening prayer, questions to ask Jesus, and practice having a conversation with him. So if you want to grow in this, I'd really encourage you to invest some of your quarantine time, read one of these books, and practice being still before the Lord, meditating on the true and holy and good and excellent things in his word, and letting it change your life. 
Our society is just soaking up content right now. In fact, the first week of major shutdowns in America, the week of March 16th, we streamed as a society 156 billion minutes of content from streaming services. So that's 290,000 years of like Netflix at home, <laughs> which is crazy. That's more than double the number of minutes streamed the same week from last year. So our society is taking all this extra time and filling it up with media. And I'm not saying to not watch TV, but I am saying, what if the people of God spent just some of all this extra time that we have and consumed the content of the word of God, of something that's true and holy and good and right and pure and lovely and excellent and praiseworthy, and we practiced obeying? If we invested time into that during quarantine, we would leave quarantine as an army. <laughs> full of the word of God, ready to obey, and ready to share his word with people who desperately need to hear it. All right, um, to end our little section of verses here, Paul is gonna leave us with one last practical step for how to practice and live out the good life. Verse nine, he says, keep putting into practice all that you learned and received from me, everything you heard from me and saw me doing, then the God of peace will be with you. So here at the end of our section, Paul gives us an action step, a way to claim these gifts of the good life and to practice living it out right now. He says, copy me. <laughs> he says, anything you see from me that you learn from me or see me doing, you can go ahead and do that. Now that's a high standard of accountability for him, right? <laughs> and since we know that he was a person, right? He wasn't perfect at all of this, but what he is saying is that we are better together. And if we are all practicing these things together, hey, you watch how I do it, I watch how you do it, we are all gonna grow in experiencing the gifts of the good life together through community and discipleship. Um, look at how Paul describes discipleship in another one of his letters. This is 1 Thessalonians 2, 7 through 8. And watch as we read it and see what metaphor he uses for discipleship. He says, We were like a mother feeding and caring for her own children. We loved you so much that we shared with you not only God's good news, but our own lives too. And you know that we treated each of you as a father treats his own children. Did you catch the metaphor? Twice, Paul describes his relationship with the Thessalonians as a parent with their kids. Okay, so parents watching this, this question is for you. Um, do you disciple your kids over coffee once a week? Do you maybe have them over, they can ask all their questions, you can give them wise answers, and then they go uh, practice it all week long? <laughs> I'm not even a parent, and I know that that answer is no. <laughs> Parents, I'm thinking that your discipleship of your kids is looking a lot more like every moment of every day, right? 
all day, every day. You are correcting them, guiding them. They're watching what you're doing. They're hearing what you're saying. They're, they're understanding the way that you see the world. And for better or for worse, they're copying you. <laughs> so you parents, you are living out right now in our quarantine time of uh, the discipleship method that Paul is talking about here. Hey, all day, every day, watch what I'm doing and copy me. This is how we're growing together in the good life. So we disciple each other by living in community with each other, by opening up our lives to each other and putting into practice what we see others doing. Like I will be so much more considerate of others in line at the grocery store if you are in line with me, <laughs> you will help me. Or if I'm, if I'm not with you physically in line, maybe I can call you up and say, hey, I am not having a good perspective on joy right now. Will you help me be considerate of the people around me? We are better together. So to close out our time together, I wanna give us a challenge uh, to take this practical step towards growing in the good life through discipleship. So I'm gonna ask you two questions to reflect on. One is, of these kind of three gifts of the good life that we've seen today, uh, joy, peace, and purity of mind, which, what is one of those things that I really wanna grow in during quarantine? And then the second question is, who is someone that I know that is strong in this area that I'm wanting to grow in, who would invite me into their life to disciple me and let me watch how they live and copy them? If possible at all, I'd really recommend this second person, this person who's gonna be discipling you, to be someone who lives in your house, <laughs> or someone who you're still seeing regularly during the shutdown, or at least someone who you're in consistent virtual conversation with, because these are gonna be the people that you can really watch their lives um, and put into practice what you see them doing. Uh, maybe it's one of your kids who is always full of joy in the Lord. And you can say, hey, I wanna be full of joy like you are. Can I copy you this week? Or maybe you regularly FaceTime a parent or a friend and that person walks in a lot of peace and you can put into practice what you see and hear from them. Or maybe your roommate or someone in your life group is really good at meditating on the Word of God, of kind of sitting in His presence and soaking in the Word of God for life change. Maybe you want to ask if that person will do quiet times with you, either at your house or over FaceTime if they don't live with you, something so that you can watch how they're doing and practice it. But the point is this, let's take this quarantine time and put it to good use, to grab a hold of the gifts of the good life that we are empowered to live in through the Holy Spirit. You church, every one of you has something to offer the kingdom of God. You experience God in a different way than I do. You've heard his voice differently. Your revelation of him is different. And I don't have a full understanding of who God is. So I welcome getting to see him through your eyes, getting to see the spirit at work in you and hear how, how you reflect the word of God and live it out in your life and learn from you. We are better together because of this. And quarantine has given us that much more of an opportunity to practice the good life, to grow 
grow in our understanding and our living in joy, in peace, and in purity of mind, and to disciple each other into these things using Paul's method, which is watch how I live my life and let's put into practice the words of Jesus together. And if we can do these things, we can come out of quarantine when this is over better and more like Jesus than we were going in. And the world will get to experience the good life of Jesus through us. So let's pray. Father, thank you that your way is the good life. Thank you that you have so much more for us than just rescue us from hell. You want us to live in this reality of joy in every circumstance, of freedom from worry, of thanksgiving and prayer, um, and a purity of mind, uh, seeing things that are excellent and praiseworthy. Thank you for giving us your word so that we can, we can soak in who you are uh, and it can change our hearts. God, would you speak to us right now as we listen to you? Would you speak to every heart of people listening and tell us what is one thing that you have for us to grow in during quarantine? How do you want us to grow during the season, Jesus? Tell us one thing. Awesome. And now, Jesus, would you just reveal to us, bring to the top of our minds, a person uh, that can disciple us in this, someone we live with or someone we're close to, who can help us grow in this area? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for speaking to us, and thank you for walking with us into the good life. Uh, we thank you, Jesus, and we praise you for your goodness. We love you. Amen.